Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. I'm so glad to be here on this Tuesday as we have got a jam-packed show. This is episode 485, and I am the exclusive podcast dedicated to local sports here in Columbus five days a week, Monday through Friday. We are broadcasting in Noonan on WQEE 99.1. FM The Key, brought to you by Ivy Park Sports Bar and Grill, Go Jump and Slide Inflatables, and Christie's Cafe. We have a lot of sports to talk about. I'm going to have Gabe Reynolds on the show. We're going to recap that Alabama-Tennessee game. Corey Bank is going to join me for the Daily Dash. We're going to recap some NFL games. NBA season tonight. We have a doubleheader. We have the NLCS Game 1. Exciting stuff. And we also had a Monday night football game. The Chargers get the win in overtime over Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. So let's go ahead and get this show started. Very excited to be doing this show. I love doing the show. This is one of the things that I just have enjoyed ever since I started my podcast back in January of 2020. And now we're on the radio. And I've been on the radio for about 10 months now. And it's really been an incredible journey that has led to other broadcasting opportunities. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate all the listeners out there and all the feedback that I've been getting on Twitter. I've got some guests lined up for future shows. You don't want to miss it. On the show tomorrow, I'm going to have Brad Page. We're going to talk about that Tennessee-Alabama game. It's pretty much Tennessee-Alabama all week. It's still such a great feeling, and they're still partying in Knoxville. In fact, in the entire state of Tennessee, they're partying they're just celebrating. They're having a great time. I also have Justin Dale is going to be on the show on Thursday. And then I have my Friday Night Lights High School Football Preview Review Show. Well, you voted for it on Twitter. The high school game of the week is Eagles Landing Christian Academy at Callaway. Both teams are 4-3, and three, but both teams undefeated in region play. And this is going to be a crucial game when it comes to playoff time. And the reason why this is such a big game, this is the high school game of the week, and Eagles Landing Christian Academy is not even in the Chattahoochee Valley. But I will preview this game on my high school football preview review show. Looking forward to covering everything when it comes to sports. Let's start with that Monday night football game. The Los Angeles Chargers win 19-16. There's really something wrong with the Denver Broncos. Russell Wilson with a hamstring injury. He just does not look healthy. And I just don't think this is a good fit. Bringing Russell Wilson over to the Denver Broncos seemed like the ideal choice because the Broncos always get it right. They get the quarterback right. They did it with Peyton Manning. They won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning coming over to the Denver Broncos. This was a good team. 
They just needed a quarterback, but they traded a lot of players and draft picks to get Russell Wilson. And I'm not 100% sure if Russell Wilson fits in this offense. Denver is now 2-4. and four. I mean, it's going to be tough. All right, we have game one of the NLCS tonight. I did not expect this matchup. You have the San Diego Padres hosting the Philadelphia Phillies. And the Padres have not been to the World Series since 1998. The Phillies have not been to the World Series since 2009. Both teams, hot at the right moment, they expanded the playoffs to six teams in each league. The Padres were the fifth seed and the Phillies were the sixth seed. If they had the old playoff format, both teams would not get into the playoffs. So it's very important for momentum. Look at all the teams that had incredible regular seasons and their season is over. The Dodgers, the Mets, the Braves. But now the two teams left standing are the Phillies and the Padres. We still haven't decided who is going to be in the ALCS because that Yankees-Guardians winner-take-all game five has been postponed to tonight because of rain. The winner of that game will take on the Houston Astros, which is the odds-on favorite to win the World Series. We have the NBA Opening night tonight, the Philadelphia 76ers. Boy, are they having a great time in the city of brotherly love. The Eagles are undefeated. The Phillies are in the NLCS. And the Sixers look like a top team that could compete in the Eastern Conference with James Harden and Joel Embiid. Well, they take on the Boston Celtics tonight. And then the nightcap, the Los Angeles Lakers, the new-look Lakers with Russell Westbrook coming off the bench with Patrick Beverly. Darvin Ham as the new head coach. Anthony Davis, will he be healthy for a full 82 games? LeBron entering his 20th year, is he going to show signs of rust? I still think LeBron is going to be incredible. I think the Lakers are a playoff team, but there's just too many stacked teams in the Western Conference to include up-and-coming teams like the New Orleans Pelicans with a healthy Zion Williamson, the Sacramento Kings, which is my dark horse to make it into the playoffs. The Lakers are taking on the Golden State Warriors tonight at the Chase Center. The Warriors are going to reveal their championship banner and give out their rings, and it is great to see the Golden State Warriors who've had four championships. And I want to see this rivalry. I want to see both teams do good. And then on Wednesday, we'll have a big slate of NBA games to include the Atlanta Hawks taking on the Houston Rockets. The Atlanta Hawks have a contract extension for DeAndre Hunter for four more years. DeAndre Hunter is the X factor on this team. We know that Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, and John Collins are the big three. Can DeAndre Hunter get to the level where he is a two-way player and that he can score. He's got to stay healthy because I know that DeAndre Hunter is capable of doing that, but if the Hawks are healthy, I think the Atlanta Hawks could make some noise in the Eastern Conference. You got the Columbus River Dragons this Friday night taking on the Elmira Mammoth. They are on the road for six games before they have their first home game on November the 11th at the Columbus Civic Center. Over the weekend, they had a ribbon-cutting ceremony for Otis Spencer Stadium. They are going to host a game this Thursday night as Kendrick is taking on Southwest. And then on Friday night, Spencer is taking on Northeast. So a lot of great action in high school football. I will have my high school football preview review show this Friday. You don't want to miss it. College basketball, the new AP poll for the preseason is out. 
And North Carolina, the Tar Heels have one of the best players in college basketball. Armando Baycott is a preseason All-American. North Carolina made it all the way to the championship game last year as an eighth seed. They knocked off their longtime rival, the Duke Blue Devils, in the Final Four. Hubert Davis in his second season. There's so much upside to the North Carolina Tar Heels, and that's why they're preseason number one. Followed by preseason number two, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Drew Timmy is back, but they don't have Chet Holmgren. What Ralph Sampson has done at Houston, the Houston Cougars are ranked third in this preseason poll, and then Kentucky is number four. They have Oscar Tbilisi coming back. He's one of the best players in all of college basketball. Some local teams, the Auburn Tigers, they're ranked 15th in this poll. I think that Bruce Pearl, he's got a team that's got to replace Jabari Smith Jr. and Walker Kessler. But I think Auburn can reload, and Alabama's in the top 25. So you got some SEC teams that are looking good, but the other local teams, the Georgia Bulldogs, what are the Georgia Bulldogs going to do without their head coach, Tom Crean, who was fired last year? Georgia basketball. I really don't know what the expectations for the Georgia basketball team is. Maybe 18 wins and an NIT berth. I mean, gotta think, with Mike White in his first season, coming over from the University of Florida, what type of team can the Georgia Bulldogs be? If you look at their tournament appearances, I never agreed with them firing Mark Fox because he got them to two tournament appearances, one in 2015 and one in 2011. But if Georgia wants to get back to when they were going to the Final Four in 1983, they went to the tournament in 85, 87, 90, 91. If you want to get back to the Hugh Durham era, you got to take advantage of NIL. You've got to recruit players that came from the state of Georgia that went on to play for other schools, like Jabari Smith Jr., who's from Tyrone and went to Sandy Creek. You've got to recruit those Georgia players, and then, and only then, Georgia can be back. Now, they were on the right path. When they recruited Anthony Edwards, that was great, but he was a one-and-done player, and then Georgia didn't do much, and that was a pandemic year anyway, and I don't think Georgia would have made the NCAA tournament. Well, I think it's time to bring on my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, for the Daily Dash. We're going to recap some of the games that happened over the weekend in the National Football League. You don't want to miss it. We'll be back with Corey. Yeah. Stick around. And welcome to the Daily Dash. I've got my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank. And we're going to recap the NFL games that happened over the weekend including your Jets. I cannot believe that your Jets are 4-2. and two. We're going to recap some of the games for Week 6. Corey, how you doing? Doing great. All right, let's start with your Jets, because that was the most surprising score I have seen. 27-10, to 10, they beat Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau. And don't look now, but the New York Jets are 4-2. and two. They have the longest playoff drought in the NFL. They have not made the playoffs since 2010 when Mark Sanchez led them to back-to-back AFC championship appearances. But, Corey, can this Jets team make the playoffs? This year, this Jets team definitely has an opportunity to do so. They've been firing on all cylinders uh, so far. Now, this is the week's game. 
they really put it together. They had a methodical run game approach opening up. Brees Hall once again over 100 yards rushing on the game. It's incredible. This rookie that they brought in, first round draft pick this year, got a guy who is a Swiss army knife. He can run between the tackles really hard. He can get outside the tackle box. And the amazing part is that you use him as a dynamic player in the past game. And we've seen him do it in countless times. This week, it was running the football. Then another guy who stepped up. He had an interception in the game. Sauce Gardner. Another pick that they got the Jets this year. Their number one first-round pick that they got this year. Sauce has been navigating the field. He's been cutting off the right angles to the football. And he's a lockdown corner. He might even be the modern-day Dale Rivas for this Jets team in that regard. Now you have to like the way their defenses have played. Linebacker C.J. Mosley getting in the mix, stuffing up holes. Quinn Williams with multiple sacks in the football game. A blocked punt by the special teams. They've been dialing it up all day. They were getting the Roger pressure on Rodgers all day long. And it was one of those roles that Zach Wilson had to become a game manager in this one because the call card called for a run-first game. It seems to be efficient. They're looking like a team I haven't seen in 12 years. Very familiar with this kind of bunch a lot like Rex Ryan's team that made to the AFC Championship game. And then in regards to this, you got Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, he didn't have a lot of blocking. Too much penetration up front. He couldn't make the decisions that he can as the Aaron Rodgers that he is, a future Hall of Famer. But this year, his offensive line has not been giving him enough time to throw the football. And it has not been the same when he has lost Wide receiver, Devontae Adams. Alan Lazard had a decent day. Sure, Aaron Jones had some carries where he got out of the tackle box a little bit. And sure, A.J. Dillon did the same. But the bottom line is, this Packers team is not the same team, and this Jets team is definitely not. And that's just the dynamic of this game, Richard. All right, Corey, let's talk about the New England Patriots beating the Cleveland Browns. I call this because Bill Belichick owns the Cleveland Browns, but I did not expect this blowout. 38-15, to 15. they don't really have a whole lot of talent, but they are winning with great coaching, and they're 3-3. Three and three. Were you shocked that the Patriots went into the dog pound and knocked off the Browns the way they did? I really did. So in that game, Richard, it's pretty interesting. They put together a 38-15 victory at first Andrew Stadium, but – the Patriots had coach Bill Belichick tie the great George Hollis for the second most wins all time, and that right there is pretty milestone-worthy. Now, New England Patriots, they had a different blueprint this year, and they're definitely a team that has to ground and pound because, like you said, they don't have a lot of weapons, and they have their new quarterback, Bailey Zappé, who has been a game manager at best. But in that regard, it just seems as though that there's not much else to work with. And they've relied on their defense. And the big story in that game is the fact that their defense stepped up. They were penetrating, and they were holding 
Nick Chubb to a day that he typically doesn't have. So Nick Chubb, I don't think he did get 100 on the ground. And that is the reason why the New England Patriots put together this victory. It was a good run offense. It was a very tenacious defense. And there's nothing more to say than that. We're going to move on to the Atlanta Falcons and the San Francisco 49ers. As a 49ers fan, I'm not too disappointed. I mean, Atlanta had a perfect game plan, and the 49ers made a lot of mistakes in that game. And I always have said that if Nick Bosa does not play, that 49ers defense is ordinary. And the Falcons win the game, 28-14. to The Falcons are starting to look like a playoff team. Everything is in front of the Atlanta Falcons. They're looking like a playoff team. They are 3-3. Three and three. And I think both teams are going to be fine. The 49ers are still in first place in the NFC West. They made a lot of mistakes, and they could not keep up with the Falcons. And the Falcons came out to that lead, and it was the defense that really made sure that the 49ers did not come back into that game. That is for sure, Richard. So this Falcons team, it came out of the gates very hot in the first quarter with an opening drive for touchdown from tight end McCole Prout. And they had a fumble recovery for touchdown from A.J. Terrell and Jalen Hawkins. So even though the 49ers tied the game with two unanswered touchdowns, the Falcons, Richard, responded with a touchdown of their own on the final drive in the first half with Marcus Mariota's three-yard score. So Marcus Mariota played arguably his best game as a Falcon, excelling on the ground and in the air. He ran the ball six times to 50 yards and a touchdown while throwing for 129 yards. So the Falcons' run-first strategy paid off once again. Atlanta ran for 168 yards. Caleb Huntley led the team with 16 carries, 59 yards. Tyler Algieri had 15 carries, 51 yards. And it was enough with this Falcons' new system in place to take care of business against the 49ers. All right, Corey, let's talk about the probably the most hyped regular season game because that AFC divisional playoff game between the Chiefs and the Bills didn't really live up to the hype in that first quarter, but it actually got very exciting toward the end of the game. Buffalo comes out on top 24 to 20. This Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen rivalry. Is this the next generation's Brady and Manning? Without a doubt. So the Kansas City Chiefs still proved that is the king of miraculous with those drives. So particularly at the end of the first half, when Mahomes needed all of 12 seconds to set up a team record 62-yard field goal from Harrison Bucker, Mahomes on his own remained a magician, leaning on the ultra-reliable Travis Kelsey and a surprisingly open Juju Smith-Schuster to always keep Kansas City in the mix, if not ahead. But the QB was clearly also pressing to make plays on occasions. So when he forced one in the end zone, they got picked off by Elam. It didn't help that there was no real running game in their script at this point in time, or that the rookie Joshua Williams was tasked with lockdown for the Bills' speedy receivers on the outside. But the Chiefs fans shouldn't be overly worried, considering how close this one is. As expected, but it is fair to remain skeptical of the depth of Mahomes receiving options because of how much rests on Mahomes 
and Kelsey. Now, the biggest reason is the twofold. Josh Allen, predictably, was a big play machine more often than not. He won't get nearly as much credit as he should. Now, the defense made plays that were excellent, but let's start with Allen. He wasn't very methodical out of the gate, consistently dropping back 10 to 15 yards behind the line in hopes of striking a mega play. Even though Devin Secretary was running into open space with ease, but Allen's connection with Stefan Diggs Richard was 10 catches for 148 yards and a score, and that's what kept them in the ballgame. Now, the Bills are usually known for a great run defense and a defense that's not going to let you not let you score many points. But in this one, because it became a high-scoring affair, that definitely bodes in the way for the Chiefs, which is why they took care of business. Now let's move on to the Sunday night football game. The Philadelphia Eagles remain the only unbeaten team in the league. They took care of business against the Dallas Cowboys, 26-17. to 17. Corey, the, the city of brotherly love is actually having a, a pretty good sports week with the Phillies making it all the way to the NLCS, and the Eagles are still undefeated. Oh, I'm telling you, Corey, the Eagles look like the real deal. I think that they could represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. I mean, I will tell you that it certainly looks this way. With the defeat of the Cowboys at 26-17, to 17, the Eagles really are dialing it up. So Cooper Rush went 18-38 for 181 yards and one score in addition to the trio of picks. So Dallas bullied his way back into the game, into the third quarter, and early in the fourth quarter, but a strong dose of the run game, play-action game, for a 13-play, 75-yard Eagles touchdown drive with 7.37 remaining, Richard, was really sentimental for this team. Jalen Hurts won 15 of 25 for 155 yards, but he did good work neutralizing the pass rush with his legs, and the threat of him taking off led to multiple quality runs by running backs, particularly Miles Sanders. He also found both A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith for touchdowns on well-designed plays from coach Nick Sirianni. They took advantage of an opponent that made several mistakes, and they leaned on play design to win the battle against an aggressive defense. As previously mentioned, Rush was intercepted three times. The Cowboys also turned the ball over on downs in the second quarter. On several occasions, they ran read option plays or run pass option plays designed to take advantage of the Cowboys' aggressive nature of a blitzing nature team, a field pass rush, and get players like A.J. Brown out in space and in the flat for opportunities. With this tendency, and the way the Eagles dialed it up with their game plan, that is why they took care of the Cowboys this week. Well, Corey, that was a great recap. I tell you, I really enjoyed this last weekend of college football and the NFL. We got the NLCS tonight, game one. We still don't know a winner of that Yankees-Guardian series because it rained out. They will play game five today. Winner will take on the Houston Astros. 
Corey, do you have a World Series favorite? Is it still the Astros, or is do you think somebody in the National League could um, win the World Series? I think it's going to be the Astros. Corey, appreciate you as always. Absolutely, Richard. Thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Welcome back to the show. On the show today, I've got Gabe Reynolds, and he is here to talk a little bit about that Alabama-Tennessee game and also the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, Gabe, tough losses this weekend, but um, you've always been a good guest in good spirit. I'm just wondering, how are you feeling this morning after both your teams taking tough losses? I'm okay. I mean, I'm not, you know, like down and out or, or anything like that. I mean, you know, one, it was the Alabama-Tennessee game was a really good game. That was a game that was needed for college football. And the reason why I say that is this. Tennessee is good, not just good for the SEC. Tennessee is good for college football because of the pedigree, the history uh, that they've had, Johnny Majors, uh, Peyton Manning, T. Martin, uh, the na- undefeated national championship team in 1998. You wanted that game because every year when college football season starts, it's always the same four to five teams. It's, it's Georgia, it's Ole Miss, it's Alabama, it's Ohio State, it's USC. So I, I actually am glad that Tennessee is back. Uh, I'm glad that it was a good game because it didn't start off that good uh, for Alabama fans. It, it, it was great for Tennessee fans. Uh, but that but that game, that's a defining game for both programs. Tennessee, it, it, it strategically put them back on the map and said, hey, we're here. It wasn't a fluke. That, that, that LSU game wasn't a fluke. We're back. And for Alabama, it's like, hey, we, you know, hey, we, we had a chance, but our defense let us down. The offense got clicking, and, and they got back in the game after being down big uh, to only be down by one possession at halftime and then take the lead, have a chance to win the game, and, you know, it, they still were there. So it, 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 was, it was good both ways. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sad. I'm not, I'm not upset. I'm actually just, as a college football fan, I'm excited to just have witnessed a good game that actually lived up to the hype. One of the greatest games I ever saw, absolutely, and you really got to give it to Alabama. I was impressed with the way Alabama clawed their way back into that game, down 28-10. to 10. Bryce Young, he didn't look injured. and He looked incredible. He was dueling with Hendon Hooker. But, Gabe, there was a point in this game, when I was watching this game, when Dallas Turner got the scoop and score and Alabama went up 49-42, to 42, I seriously thought that was the ball game. I didn't think that Tennessee had it in them to march down the field and to tie it. And even if they did tie it, you still give Will Riker to kick a game-winning field goal down at the other end. But what was going through your mind when Dallas Turner got the scoop and score to make it 49-42? to 42? So I, I was like, I was happy because Alabama had the lead. But that game reminded me of the national championship game when uh, Alabama played Clemson. It was going to come down to whoever had the ball late. Let, let's go back into the second quarter when uh, Alabama had got a three and out, forced Tennessee to punt, and Alabama uh, 
muffed the kick, not muffed the kick, but they touched the ball and gave gave Tennessee a short field to go up even more in that game. You know, it that that to me like that was a if we could have got it right there and got a score, you don't give you you actually have a better chance. I think the odds would have been a little bit more in the favor of uh of Bama winning. But um let's go back to when when um Bryce got the ball, Alabama got the ball back, they hit one of the receivers for uh a play, and Tennessee was down like they were down to like a walk on cornerback. Uh, that's that's from here in Nashville, played at Father Ryan High School. Had he not gotten that tackle, uh, Alabama gets a first down. They get closer in the field goal range. And instead of that being a 50-yard field goal, that's probably uh, more time ran off the clock. It's a closer field goal, and your outcome is a little bit different. But it was a, it's a lot of things that was going through my mind, but I still was like, I know Alabama's secondary is still vulnerable. Like, you can't – we got to get pressure uh, on the quarterback and we can't let uh, Hooker get out of the pocket and, and run to pick up a first down or anything like that. And we can't let uh, Wyatt get wide open again to uh, get get the ball down the field. So, it, it was a lot of things like if the defense could just shore up, then I was like, hey, we got a good chance. But, man – what a game. Uh, Tennessee, Tennessee played lights out. Their offensive coordinator called some great plays. Uh, I mean, it was, it was strength on strength. It, it was, you know, defense on the, the, one of the defense against offense both ways. And, and the defensive coordinators, they got, they got their hands full going into uh, this week's game. So I really thought that, like, hey, we, it's a chance, but I didn't think it was a, a surefire thing once we got that scoop and score. As the casual college football fan, just being intrigued by this game, I didn't even turn on the Georgia Vanderbilt game, and I'm a Georgia fan. That game was played at 3.30 at the same time as the Tennessee-Alabama game. Gabe, how exciting would this be if we got a rematch of Tennessee and Alabama in the SEC championship game? Uh, I think it would be good. Um, I don't, You know me. I don't like looking too far down the road. I think there's still, gonna, there's still some things that – that would have to happen. I, I do think that depending on what ha- Alabama controls his own destiny, but Alabama's got a they got to win out. They got to win out or get some help. Their next biggest test is going to be they got to be they got to be Ole Miss because right now Ole Miss is 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 leading in the SEC West. So Alabama's got to beat Ole Miss. Alabama's got to beat LSU. And then what you want to happen is you want LSU or Mississippi State to beat Ole Miss so that it doesn't uh, come back and bite you. And then you still got to play Auburn. That, I mean, that's you, when you when you play your rival, that you just throw the records out the window. Now for Tennessee, I think it's a little bit easier, but I still think the trap game is going to be Kentucky. You got Kentucky at home, which is good, but you got to go to Georgia. And you got to play Georgia at Georgia. That's the next biggest test on Tennessee's schedule. If Tennessee clears that hurdle, then, yeah, Tennessee is in the uh, SEC championship game in Atlanta. And then if Alabama does what it needs to do, yeah, we get that rematch, and you get Tennessee at full strength. Remember, 
Tennessee had their start, uh, a, a starting wide receiver after game due to injury. You had their starting safety that was uh, out of the game due to disciplinary reasons. You had some other uh, uh, defensive backs that were out for injury. Um, and you, 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 get them, you get them strength on strength. So now, if I was a Tennessee fan, I wanted Bryce Young to play. And I wanted to beat Alabama with Bryce Young. So they couldn't say. So nobody could say, well, you beat us, but we didn't have our starting quarterback. You beat Alabama with their entire team. So if if I'm a, if I'm a Bama player, I want a rematch against uh against Tennessee in a neutral site with all the, with all the chips on the table. All right, Gabe. I have a college football playoff scenario. Let's say at the end of the season, Ohio State, Clemson, UCLA, and TCU, all conference champions, all undefeated, and then there's a one loss Alabama SEC championship. Uh, there's a one-loss Alabama who's SEC champions. Who gets into the college football playoff? I think it would be hard not to put a one-loss Alabama in there, especially if they if they move up the polls and win the SEC because of the strength of schedule of the of the SEC. I don't think that UCLA could get in because USC has one loss. I don't think Ohio State gets in because Ohio State's uh, strength of schedule is not as tough as, say, a Alabama, Georgia, or Tennessee. A one-loss SEC team, even if you have to put – you're going to get two SEC teams in this year. That's a strong argument. You could get three SEC teams in this year to be like, where else are you going to get it? You can't. TCU doesn't have the strength of schedule, so I don't see a TCU getting in there. UCLA, the Pac-12 is still down. They haven't come back up yet. And then if Ohio State beats Michigan or Michigan beats Ohio State, can you really say that their strength of schedule is 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 better than the SEC schedule? Clemson, who have they really played? Yeah. Pitt. North Carolina, you beat Florida State. It's it's still not the same for those for those teams. They need to they they are waiting on the uh, college football playoff expansion to happen because that's what they need to get in. The SEC is still the cream of the crop right now. The SEC is still the top dog right now. Look at it. You got more teams. You got Tennessee ranked, Georgia ranked, Bama ranked. Ole Miss rank, Mississippi State rank, Kentucky rank. You got six SEC teams ranked right now. What other conference can say that? Gabe, you are absolutely right. I am actually looking forward to the rest of the college football season. It should be fun. But we're going to go ahead and switch gears because we have to talk about your Dallas Cowboys. They did play the Sunday night football game against the Philadelphia Eagles. There are people in the media like Ryan Clark on ESPN that says, the Philadelphia Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl. I don't know. That's kind of a little early. But whatever they're doing is working with Jalen Hurts in that run game. And, you know, Cooper Rush, he did get the start, but there's been a report out that Dak Prescott will be ready to go against the Detroit Lions. Gabe, with the New York Giants 5-1, and one, the Eagles are still undefeated. The Cowboys picked up their second loss of the season, but they're still riding contention. 
Can the Cowboys win the NFC East? And what is it going to take to try to get over Philly and the Giants if they continue winning? I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not too sold on this on this Cowboys team because right now their defense is what's keeping them in game. Their offense is very, very suspect. Like if you noticed last night, Ezekiel Elliott couldn't really run the ball. It was a lot of Tony Pollard last night. Uh, CeeDee Lamb is just one receiver, and without having that other receiver that can stretch the field on the other side, you. It's easy to roll coverage over the lamb side and double him or give safety over the top help uh, on him. So I'm I'm not too sold on this on this Cowboys thing. What I will what I do like is um, the parity uh, in the in the NFC East. Uh, I mean it's a, it's really a three team race. Nothing against the uh, the Commanders, but. They're they're just not where they need to be. They got too much internal internal uh, dysfunction going on right now uh, to do anything uh, to even uh, try to make a run. But I don't. I I, I still think that uh, whatever team can find can get a leg up. Like uh, if Philly can beat Dallas twice, that's going to give them a leg up. If they can beat um, if they split with the Giants, they still will own the tiebreaker. I just, I, I just really think that uh, it's going to come down to probably the last two weeks of the season in the NFC East to see who's going to win, win that. Um, I think the Cowboys may have to play their way in through the wild card. Um, but they got a lot of stuff that they got to work out. If you would have told me that the Cowboys would be – uh, would have the record that they have without Dak Prescott and playing with a backup QB, I'd probably be like, uh, I don't know. But Cooper Rush did what he, what Cooper Rush was supposed to do. He kept them. He kept them right there. He kept them in contention. He did his job. But I think I think you've gotten the the most you're gonna get out of him, and it's time to get back to uh, it's time to uh, get Dak is healthy. If he's healthy, get him back in there. Uh, if not, if he's not ready, I think you can get one more good game out of Cooper Rush, and that'll be against the Lions. But I, I, I don't think there's more, any more that he can do. He's reached his sale by date if he was a card in the milk. The Cowboys are 4-2. and two. They do have two winnable games against the Detroit Lions at home and the Chicago Bears at home. And then here's an interesting game on November the 13th. They travel to Lambeau to take on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, who have been struggling. They are 3-3. Three and three. I think that's a winnable game. And then November the 20th, who would have thought the surprise team in the NFC, the Minnesota Vikings. They take on that and then a rematch with the Giants. And then the schedule gets a little bit easy. They have a slate of AFC South opponents, the Colts, the Texans, and the Jaguars. I see a scenario where the Cowboys can rattle off a few wins and sneak into the playoffs as a wild card? I mean, it's still early. You know, the, you know, the good thing about a 17-game schedule is anything can happen. A lot can change. Um, we won't start seeing – in my opinion, we won't start seeing what team can do what until probably uh, week 10. I think by week 10, everything will – everybody will start separating themselves. 
Now, then we'll start saying, okay, who's truly in the playoffs in, in contention for the playoffs? Right now we're still early. I, I, I still think six weeks into the season, everybody still has a chance. Uh, but by week 10, we'll, we'll start weeding, weeding people out. All right, Gabe. The NBA season will start this Tuesday. We have a doubleheader, the 76ers traveling to the Boston Garden to take on the Celtics. And then an intriguing matchup. I'm going to stay up late to watch this. The Los Angeles Lakers going to the Chase Center to take on the defending NBA champion Golden State Warriors. That's always great when the Warriors can reveal their banner and give out their championship rings the same night they play the Lakers. I think, Gabe, with Draymond Green coming back to the lineup, they read up Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole. I'm actually thinking that the NBA Finals are going to be the Warriors and the Bucks, And the reason why I think the Bucks is because if Chris Middleton does not get injured, I think they're beating the Celtics. Gabe, who do you have in the NBA Finals? I know it's NBA. I'm close with you. I think Golden State definitely coming out the West, but I, I, I foresee a huge trade happening, and somebody, a big-name big player, is going to end up in Miami alongside Jimmy Butler, and I think it's going to be Miami and Golden State. Wow, that is a very good pick. A dark horse team, I think, is the Clippers. If Kawhi Leonard comes back healthy and with Paul George, I think the pieces that the Clippers have around Kawhi and Paul, I don't know. I think the Clippers can rattle off some wins. I think that the West is going to be a lot harder this year because Nikolai Jokic has Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. coming back. I think that the Pelicans have improved because I think if Zion Williamson comes back and he's fully healthy, he's got a complimentary piece with Brandon Ingram. And, of course, the Memphis Grizzlies, all that depth with John Morant. And then you have Jaron Jackson coming back from his injury. I think the Grizzlies can be a team that can compete in the West. It should be fun. I cannot wait for this NBA season. I, yeah, I, I really think it's going to be a, a lot of parity. Um, I feel like the West is the West is always going to be tough. Over on the East, you know, you can't ever rule out. Now that uh, Brooklyn is there, they got everything ironed out. I think teams that like to sag off Ben Simmons to see if he can shoot, they're going to make him pay because they're going to let him bring the ball up the court and run the offense, slide Kyrie to the two, and then you still got the uh, – the thin man, Kevin Durant, that can that can come right in there. And if you sag out Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant's gonna uh he's gonna be open to hit those shots. So that's gonna they're they're gonna that's gonna be some play right there. The Embiid Harden uh duo up in Philly is gonna be one to watch as well. Of course you got uh, Milwaukee and then I wouldn't be surprised if the Knicks make a uh make a run this year and get back into the playoffs. What about the Atlanta Hawks with the dynamic duo of Trey Young and DeJounte Murray? And they also have John Collins as the number three. As long as Atlanta can stay healthy, I think they'll be able to compete. But they gotta, they, Atlanta's got to win those games that they're supposed to win. They can't go out and, and lose to a bottom-level team. They got to win the games they, they're supposed to win. All right, Gabe, give me your preseason awards 
starting with rookie of the year. Who wins rookie of the year from the NBA? If you have a hunch who it might win. The kid from Orlando. Uh Balancero. Ba- Paulo Boncaro. Boncaro. I think I think he I think he is he's he's my favorite to win rookie of the year. Anytime you shut somebody down after two games, like yeah, he's gonna he's gonna have a he's gonna have a huge impact this season. Oh, he's gonna win rookie of the year just for the simple fact that he's on a bad team. He's gonna put up big numbers. Exactly. I think okay, most improved player. Oh, this is really hard. Um, but I think, oh man, like the season hasn't even started. Uh, well, we're gonna skip that one. A sixth man of the year. Uh, I I tell you, uh, whoever comes off the bench, like yeah, these awards. It that is hard. That's something. Okay, MVP. I know that Nikolai Jokic has won it. Giannis has won it. But who do you have as MVP? MVP this year, I would probably, I'm probably going to go with Devin Booker. You might like this. I'm going to say John Morant. I don't know if he's the MVP. Um, I think he'll be in the conversation. But I think it's for him, but for, for, for Morant to win it, it's going to depend on what, what the Grizzlies do. It's going to all depend on what the Grizzlies do. Um, let me go back to one, I think, uh, sixth man of the year. Russell Westbrook. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He's coming off the bench. Russell Westbrook. I, 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 and if you give him the ball and the freedom to play with that second unit for the Lakers, that's your sixth man of the year right there. He's already got an MVP. So basically you got an MVP caliber caliber player coming off the bench with your second unit. And he has he, they're going to let him play like he did when he was in, in Oklahoma and in Houston. Oh, man. I kind of have a sleeper for a rookie of the year, a dark horse, if you would. Sacramento Kings forward Keegan Murray. I think, yeah, yeah, I can see that. I I made I, a bold statement. I said that the Sacramento Kings are going to make the playoffs. They have not made the playoffs since 2006. But if they get into the play-in game and they lose in the play-in game, does that snap their postseason streak? Kind of, because, I mean, technically it is a playoff game. So... Kinda, yeah. Yeah, but I was thinking that too. It's a playing game, so technically it's a playoff. Which was more excessive celebration? Patrick Beverly's celebration after that playing game win with Minnesota last year? Or Tennessee tearing down the goalposts and throwing it in the Tennessee River? I'm going to have to go with Tennessee storming the field and taking the goalposts through downtown Knoxville and throwing it in the river. All right, and with you living in Tennessee, how is it being an Alabama fan and living in the heart of Tennessee fans just about everywhere? Uh, it is what it is. Um, I've seen more orange uh, this uh, since the game on Saturday than I've seen in the entire the entire time I've I've been back in Tennessee. Wow! So some of these. Some of these uh, closet Tennessee fans came out the woodwork uh, after the win, and uh, but if you're, I've been an Alabama fan since '92, so I I've been through like I told like I said before I've been through the through the bad years, the good years, the the scandal years. So I've, I've been a Cowboy fan since I was eight, so I've been through it all. But some some of you Tennessee fans. Y'all really not Tennessee fans. Y'all just don't like Alabama. But I get it. 
you know, enjoy your celebration. Smoke them if you got them. Take care of business. You still got to beat Georgia. And right about now, all Alabama fans are dogs. Are, uh, we're rooting against Georgia because, no disrespect, because we want another crack at Tennessee. I admit, Gabe, when I arrived on the campus of Freed Hardman University in Henderson, Tennessee, more than 20 years ago, I jumped on the bandwagon and became a Tennessee fan because a, a guy from California with no college football ties, it was somebody to root for, and it was a big deal in the state of Tennessee. I moved to Georgia in 2006, and now I'm a Georgia fan. So I guess you could call me a bandwagon college football fan. I mean, you, you, you just gravitate to the, to, the, to, the, to the state team. I mean, I'm, I'm from Memphis, and Memphis, if you ever come to Memphis, the whole county of Shelby County is blue. It is blue through and through. Once you leave the county and you leave Shelby County and you leave Memphis, the rest of the state is orange. We In Memphis, we're all about the Tigers, now the Grizzlies. We could care less about that other school on the other side of the state because they, they, Tennessee considers Memphis little brother, and we don't even acknowledge that school on the other side of the state. Being right here in the middle, Living in Nashville, nobody even talks about uh, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is like an unknown. It's Memphis and it's Tennessee, and then there's Vandy. But <laughs> they talk about Middle Tennessee State, Tennessee State, Austin P. They talk about Tennessee. They talk about everybody but Vanderbilt. So it's like only time they talk about Vanderbilt is baseball season around here. Gabe, as always, it's been a pleasure just having you on the show. And uh, definitely would love to have you back on. And uh, it's been a great time. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me. Hey, go dogs, roll tide, and go Tigers. That was Gabe Reynolds. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Don't forget to like, subscribe to my Facebook and Twitter. And I'm also on Instagram. You can download this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for tomorrow's episode. And I hope that everybody has a great rest of your day. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdry. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been The Sports Beat with your host, Richard Holdry. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.